0: Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with The Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network Thanks as always for making your way here, checking out this episode in the series Hopefully you like what you hear enough to uh, hit that subscribe button Uh, I put out three new interviews every single week So it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists Discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world All the usual spots like uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR YouTube for the video versions or again anywhere you get your podcast from. I'm Kyle Mayer. Today is actually a really special episode. So, so back in uh, late fall early winter at the WFPK Studios, where I'm based here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Hamilton Lighthouser and Kevin Morby dropped in. They had been touring throughout the summer into the fall, and it stopped into Louisville to play Headliners Music Hall. And they stopped in the studio, one of the very first in-studios, in fact, that we uh, had back at the WFPK Studios uh, since the pandemic and everything. So they dropped in, and we got to talk about some fun stuff like... Uh, their long history together, uh, being friends, that is, uh, writing a song, the song Virginia Beach. That's a single they put out last year. They wrote together. Uh, Kevin Morby went on then to speak about uh, releasing the demos to his album Sundowner, and both the artists' experience with demo-wide, as, as well as uh, Kevin Morby, uh, having some uh, fear-based exercise through the pandemic as well. Then Hamilton took over to talk about living in Washington, D.C. during the political unrest of the last few years, uh, releasing his live album from Cafe Carlisle, and the characters that populate uh, his uh, album from last year, the, the Loves of Your Life, and how they all seem to be running from someone. Now, the video version of this also contains... Uh, their performances. I don't have the rights to put them in the podcast, but if you find the video versions uh, on YouTube, Kyle Meredith with Kevin Morby and Hamilton Lighthouser, you can actually see the performances that they had at the WFBK studios. But here is some great conversation, and I'm also going to include some of our older interviews uh, after this as well. So with the audio version, you get bonus interviews. That's that's the balance of life right there. Let's do this. It's Kyle Meredith with Kevin Morby and Hamilton Lighthouser. Thank you very us. much. It's nice to see real human music types in person, back in these studios. I think we were saying earlier you guys are the fourth one as we're getting back. So it's an honor. This is uh yeah. It's the real thing. Uh, this is the joint tour that you guys are doing. You've got Jess Williamson opening up the show, and uh, and what a treat to have you both on the same bill. How far does this? How far does this friendship go back?
2: Uh, I think technically like t- 2012, my old band Woods tour with Walkman. but I think more so around maybe like
1: 2017. Yeah. Yeah, and we have a lot of mutual friends. So uh, while we hadn't met each other that many times, it sort of felt like we knew each other. through, yeah. through the grapevine. By proxy, and <laughs> yeah. then we played a show.
2: We played a show in at Montreux Jazz Fest
1: in uh, at Montreux, right? Yeah, in
0: Switzerland.
2: In 2017, I think. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful place. Is this one
0: of those things where it's like, oh, we got to do something? Like, you meet a lot of people and you make that, you know, like, we got to do something. And it never, ever happens.
1: It's, it's kind of like that.
2: Yeah. 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 And I think it's sort of a pandemic thing.
0: Like, it, I, I think we
2: kind of booked this tour in like the fairy tale of the pandemic. Like, maybe when stuff comes back, we'll do a tour together. And it's happened. Yeah. We're a month deep in it now. It's, it's almost, we've almost completed it.
0: So, so, this isn't one of those things where somebody asks you to do something months in advance. you say, "Yes," and then the day comes, you're like, "How do I get out of this?" I gotta
1: no, not at all. It was more <laughs> like it was more like we we're all gung-ho in May when, when things were looking all rosy and everything was opening up again. Yeah, And then like June and July, like the news started getting a little dicey. Yeah, it's like, how
0: do we pull this off? Right. Yeah. Well, you are. You're pulling it off, it yeah. looks like. I mean, uh, I don't know how many nights you've been on this already, but uh, you're here. A lot. We're, a lot. So well, that's the big thing. The other part of this story is not only are on a tour, but you've done a song together. It's called Virginia Beach. Uh, and, and as I understand, Hamilton, this uh, starts with you,
1: the song. Yeah, it was music that I was writing, uh, during the pandemic in Washington, DC, where I'd been relocated into my parents' basement, which is kind of a funny surprise for me. Um, and, uh, I was like, I was down there playing, rocking out and my mom would be like, Hamilton, turn it down, you know, like at the top of the (laughs) stairs. And like uh, I just was I, I, I don't know if we had planned the tour yet or not. I can't remember when I thought of the idea of being like, man, somebody else needs to sing on this because I just I wasn't liking what my voice is doing. And I thought Kevin always has like different uh, like arrangements in his song like his songs sort of follow different paths than mine. So I thought maybe fun to just send him kind of a raw thing and see if he could kind of change the mood and the um, and like the structure and stuff. Just with singing on it, and and it did, and and it was great. And he sent me a lot of stuff, and then I wrote a little bit more, and then we put it together. You know, two thousand miles apart,
0: it works together really, really well. Thank you. Yeah, I was yeah. really happy with how it came out. Yeah, it does. A really good use of Texarkana <laughs> in there as well. It works well in a song. I've had some weird stories about in, in Texarkana. That's yeah,
2: it's it. a. That's a- to kill your place. <laughs>
0: uh, both artists playing tonight at a, at a headliner. It's again Jess Williamson opening up to show you can get the details at WFPK.org. Uh now there was some rock, paper, scissors, <clears throat> and apparently shoot thrown in there. Yep. <laughs> I'm not really that sure what called the
1: sh- like scissors, rock, paper, shoot. <laughs> it's like Kansas City lingo, man. <laughs>
0: We haven't really figured out what that part is, but uh, Kevin won the uh, won the game anyway to, to go next here. Uh, let's see, Kevin, you've got uh, the Sundowner album that mm-hmm. came out and then you followed that with uh, A Night at the Little Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is the demos, right? Yeah, which are the demos to Sundowner. So it's the same songs, but just recorded uh, very differently. I guess the easy question is like, what's was there something in them? That you know didn't make it to the to the studio that you you liked.
2: Yeah, I always have demos to my songs, but I've never felt the the need to release them until now. I, I think it's because I put a lot of effort into these demos for Night of the Little Los Angeles, and I recorded them all on a four track in my shed and the the, the the sort of little back house that I have in Kansas City. And they had some magic to them. They had something. You know, there was a long time where I thought that was going to be the proper album, but I decided at the last minute to do the proper record in a, a proper studio. And I was always sort of mourning the fact that no one was going to hear these recordings, and so I decided to release them. I'm
0: guilty of demoitis quite a lot, you know. The first, yeah, first oh, time you yeah. know, first time you hear the song, you fall in love. There's, there's no better song. Like as an artist, how much do you wrestle with? Absolutely. I think I, I've actually heard you talk about that Hamilton before. Like demoitis,
2: it's yeah. it's so hard to get over as an artist because every time I hear like my proper studio recordings, I'm like they're good, but they're just they don't hold that magic of when you first create something. Yeah. You know.
1: I don't make demos anymore for that reason. It's the I studio just, version. Yeah, I I, I I, keep, like, I have my own home studio now. So I like to keep, like, the first take of the first stuff. And I build the song around that. That's beautiful. It's and a little so scary, though, right? Well... It's a little scarier when you can't recreate what you think you can do, you did in like five seconds and all of a sudden you spend like a week on it and it still doesn't <laughs> sound as good. That's scary.
2: Yeah, I heard you say in an interview, and I really relate to it, where you get into a big studio and you're like, how do we make all of this
1: millions of dollars of gear sound like a four track? Right, exactly. Right. When we did that, so, so many times we'd be sitting there, and over the years I've done this where you're... You're literally referencing, somebody plugs in their, like, Walkman or whatever, and, and is playing the cassette tape through the board. And then we're, like, a being our new thing and just trying to get the cassette sound. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, but it, it happens. Yeah. It happened many, many, many times. Yeah.
0: I imagine. Uh, well, right. for what it's worth, I really do enjoy both versions. Thank you. That, that you've put out with both Thank of those. You, uh, you also spent uh, quite a bit of the pandemic with the at-home sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Does that seem like a million years
2: ago at this point? It does. I think the other night we played a pretty big show in Chicago and that was uh, for some reason, like I said earlier, we're like a month deep into tour. But that is for whatever reason, you know, you got so much going on in the day to day of tour and you're you're just concentrating on the good show. But in Chicago – it was lit in a way where I could look up at the balcony. I saw so many people there, and that's what really hit me. Like, oh wow! Last year we couldn't have even conceived of this, and so it's yeah, it's been amazing to to be back. And last year does feel like it was yesterday, but also a million years ago. And also feels like it didn't happen in a weird way. It's like a really horrible dream.
0: There were scientists early on in the pandemic saying that we wouldn't remember most days because of the inactivity. Like it's just yeah. like that's just especially ten years from now. Like that almost is all going to be gone. Yeah. Oh, I what a strange time I
2: got very ripped last year. I was like, and I it was like fear based exercise. That's how I say it. It's
0: going to be hard to ever recreate that or get in that sort of shape because I was just running out of pure fear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed a lot of those uh, at home sessions, by the way. Thank uh, you, watching you all do that. It was. Nice to have those. Would you consider the Kentucky the Midwest?
1: You're asking a dangerous question. The right? South. I am, right? <clears throat> I got so, a lot of relatives here. They would firmly say the South.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Gateway to the South, like the St. Louis is the gateway to the West. Right. You know, because the state above us, there technically touches Canada almost. So right, you know, it's right. it's, it's, it's
2: a weird thing because in Kansas City, that is like, you know, it's 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 only the Midwest. Yeah. No one would argue that. But in Kentucky, I know someone threw that idea at me that oh, Kentucky's the Midwest. It's not the South. In my mind, it's always been the South.
0: Yeah, it's so, the South. Because the Midwest, you know, it's like, geez, Virginia's on the other side, you know, we're nearly on the Eastern coast. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's,
2: it's a dangerous question. Well, I was going to play a song called Don't Underestimate Midwest American Sound, but maybe actually now I'm going to play a song
0: called (laughs) Campfire. I
2: don't want to offend anybody. (laughs)
0: You're not going to offend anybody. (laughs) That's how
2: Midwestern I am. That
0: song's so nice that I don't mind us being in the Midwest for right now. (laughs) That's for the people who believe that Kentucky is a Midwestern state. (laughs) Hamilton, uh, and you've talked about this a little bit before, but you mentioned you've, you've got ties here to Louisville. I do. Yeah. Hello to my cousins if they're
1: listening out there.
0: Is it going to be a family affair tonight? Do they do they still uh, come to
1: see you? Do they care that much? I, I, I asked. One of them wrote me last night and said, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. And I thought, great. So I said, do you need tickets? And I've still just radio silence. So I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> like exactly. ooh, I was hoping he wouldn't ask me that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah you with the Walkman, uh, now that I think about it, we're part of one of our biggest Waterfront Wednesday, the Waterfront ever. show. I remember that it was yeah. huge, and right. that had to have at least been like a portion of your family.
1: That was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, love love that show. It's massive. Uh, you're in DC now still? Uh, no, we have finally relocated back to uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, when did you go? Uh, September 10th or something like that. Okay, like so you we, were still. But we were in DC for like a year and a half. Like my girls' schools were closed, and New York was a real drag because yeah. it was you couldn't even really go outside for a while.
0: What was D.C. like this past year or so?
1: It wasn't great either, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, we, we the, my parents have a farm in Virginia, so we spent a lot of time out there. That's But, smart. you know, it was nice that the election went the way it did because D.C. had been turning into a really weird spot, you know, over the course of 2020. You don't say yeah, yeah that it was there it was weird <laughs> uh,
0: you yourself uh, let's talk about these new releases too uh, the latest well you put the, the loves of your life came out last year and as well as a live album the live at the uh, cafe car Yep.
1: yeah I, I was like in the depths of the quarantine I sort of like found myself with you know I couldn't play shows and somebody I had forgotten that we recorded it and somebody finally sent me the files like five months after the show or something like that and I thought oh my god it'd be kind of fun to mix that so I went through it and it sounded pretty good and I thought, well, instead of playing a show, I'm just going to... This is the best. This is the closest I can get right now. So I released a live record.
0: Yeah, they end up being one of the saviors of the uh, of that uh, lockdown year, the live albums.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. It was fun. Uh, it, w- it was fun to make. Yeah, I've always wanted to do a live record, actually. So I was happy to finally get that.
0: And that room, I mean, that's a special room. Uh, Suzanne Vega also re- released, released, recently released uh, Cafe Carlisle. Oh, she did? Um, and it sounds... There's something about it. I don't know. Maybe oh, I thought it was her engineer, but there's... Cause that's, I've always wanted to go there. I got to New York, New York a lot. I've never been
1: there. Well, I'm going to do it in uh, March again. You can do it if again. The, if they go through with the, if the show, if they open, but yeah. I got the room booked. Yeah.
0: But as we talk about, you know, there are just some rooms
1: around the world that are a little extra special. I mean, is that on the oh, list? yeah, It's amazing. I mean, it's an incredible night. It's just so different. It's like, you know, you're playing to a very different crowd cause you are playing for people who can afford to get in the door there, which I can't, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> You know, everybody has dinner. It's real throwback. Thing. Everybody's dressed up, and 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 you play, and the people are literally eating cheesecake at your feet. Like I could just step in somebody's cheesecake. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised I haven't yet. Actually. Yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yet. Yeah. I Remember the, uh, the 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 Bill Murray Netflix Christmas special was all shot there.
1: Uh, yeah, I actually got to meet him a couple of times. Did you? There, You've got. Yeah.
0: Do you have a Bill Murray story? I have a couple, but I'm not gonna tell them.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ooh. it's amazing. He's yeah, he's an incredible, dude
0: bet um with your records and everything and so you tell this story actually at the beginning of the live album about the characters that you've been writing about about these people you know these people you met you tell this story about this woman who i guess just like took over your moment on the beach with i'm gonna play that song right now
1: actually are you so we're we're talking about the stars of tomorrow stars of tomorrow it's about this woman who who i was sitting on on a, a bench at a park on the beach and uh she she uh pulled up in a in a big Chevy Silverado right behind me and got out and sat right next to me and just in the, like this really animated, really agitated state and told me her entire life story. And she was like leaving her husband that night. And she was like taking all the possessions and, and, and moving to Baltimore. And, and my two girls were just like staring at her like, who, daddy, who is this person? <laughs> is this your friend. And, uh, and, uh, she, uh, Ended up like kissing us all and handing us this big jar of pickled beets and then got (laughs) back in her truck And she kept saying I'm taking this Ford and she was pointing at the Chevy Silverado in the parking (laughs) lot I was like, I didn't have the heart to tell her that ain't a Ford But but uh, it was like amazing just like the experience when she left I was in this like period where I was really having trouble writing songs But I really wanted to and as soon as she left I realized like I want to tell people about her uh-huh. And so I wrote this song about her and this was one of the ones where I realized like that I had met a couple other interesting people and I wrote like my song cross sound fairy about this other guy that I met and I realized it was kind of fun to put one person per song on my record. So that's what I ended up doing.
0: Yeah. And I, and, and, I don't know, it, do you find that there is a, a, a likeness between the, like, why did, did you choose the people for a, were they I all do, sort like, of bizarre?
1: As I tell people these stories, I like to tell the stories every night when I play these songs, actually, because it just makes a difference so people know what I'm talking about. Um, and I have realized that basically every single person I'm writing about is like running from some problem, running and hiding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm attracted to the runners and the people that aren't really willing to face whatever.
0: Well, but, Kevin here can run a lot. Yeah, During Kevin. the pandemic. You're, you're it's amazing. like Kevin
1: running from COVID. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going to write a song about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's been so nice having you all in here. Thank you for Thank doing you this. Thanks, it's our pleasure. Again, Kevin Morby and Hamilton Lighthouse are there from the uh, WFPK studios. And a reminder, uh, the uh, video version of that you can find on YouTube also has their performances that we had to snip out of the uh, podcast version here. But on this podcast version, as I mentioned, you do get some bonus interviews. Let's uh, turn the clocks back to 2017 when I caught up with Kevin Morby uh, backstage at Bonnaroo that year. He had been on a riding kick lately with his uh, fourth release in five years at that point. Uh, City Music, his own answer uh, to his last LP before that singing soul that caught him in a uh, biogra- biographical mood uh, concerning his move to Los Angeles uh, with City Music. He told us it's the opposite of all that. It was set in New York, it had themes of isolation, even found him playing the part of a reclusive elderly woman, as well as uh, pays a bit of tribute to uh, Ramones and Jim Carroll. So this is uh, part two of our interview. It's Kyle Meredith with Kevin Morby. City music. Yes, city music. What, fourth record in five years? I think four. uh, There was one year that I did not release a record,
2: but I think that the way it all works... It, it has been four records in four years, yeah. I think.
0: I, I know that uh, you know people make a big deal, of, but because it's unique, uh-huh. it's interesting. Where do the ideas come from when you've got to do it so quick like that? I mean, because I've heard some themes about this record. Um, a loose concept of being lonely. It's a New York record which I always feel like those two things usually go hand in hand. Sure, sure. Like, like you know, again, that many records at once, are you always looking for something to kind of tie it all in together? Or is this just you've been on a roll and it's been coming?
2: I, just, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe I've just been on a roll, knock on wood. But um, I, don't, I, have a, I have a very speedy personality. I think of things very quickly and I get sick of things really quickly. So I'm kind of always making something and then putting it out and then on
0: to the next thing. Yeah, I mean, it's nice for these moments here that you don't have to talk about the same record for two years.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, for <laughs> sure. Always well, something new to talk about. Yeah. Well, about I that concept,
0: is that is that a true statement, or is that something the press came up with?
2: Um, yeah, that's a that's about it. I was I wrote a record that came out last year that was very autobiographical um, about having just moved to L. A. and my life in in L. A. and Almost in response to that, I wrote this record, which is sort of a fictitious take on a a, a similar theme, Mm -hmm. which is just being feeling kind of the way that I was feeling, but in a different landscape.
0: Right, and again, New York always seems to be when someone talks about loneliness. If you're going to make a a movie, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, it's going to be set in there.
2: Yeah, and it's ironic because it's you know it's such a
0: it's there's so many people who live there. Yeah, but hearing sort of uh, I don't know hearing you call off like I, I I will say that the you know the the song with um with one two three four. Uh uh-huh. there's so much music out there and it's, you know, we hear so much music and it's hard to always get that excited about something new, but I was so excited the first <laughs> time I heard that song. Oh, uh, that's cool. Because there's so much happening there that, you know, it's, I mean, there's a nostalgia factor playing a part of it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, but, but it's, you know, it, it's its own thing. You got Jim Carroll, you oh, got the Ramones nice. and then, uh, and, and, and I, it's something very un-New York. I kept thinking about, um, and I, I don't know if this, probably not intentional at all, but it's, uh, a uh, Plain, moi, you remember that song no yeah it's a great song it's it's it's, there's a little bit of that same beat in there but especially with the jim carroll and the ramones like Mm -hmm. again is there a story behind the song like where does that song come from how does it start
2: that song honestly i wrote as sort of a joke and i wanted to be called hashtag one two three four i don't know why i like saw the hashtag one two three four somewhere and i was like oh that'd be funny if to to write a song about that and and make it an homage to the ramones because in my mind when I think of those numbers, I think of the Ramones, you know, sure. counting off a song. Tommy every time. Yeah. yeah, and just launching into a song. So I was like, okay, well, I'll write a song that, you know, talks about the numbers 1, two, 3, 4, and I'll make it a punk song because that's popular in punk music. And then while I was doing it, I was like, well, what better way to make an homage to the Ramones than to just kind of fire off all their names? Mm-hmm. And then once I had done that, I was like, and then wouldn't it be funny if I used a Jim Carroll lyric the from Jim one Carole, of my favorite right. Jim Carroll songs to sort of tie a bow on the whole thing? And that's what I did.
0: And I'm so glad you did because... If you know the Jim Carroll song, it's almost yeah. like you knew it was leading there, but, of course, the first time you hear it. it right, stills- right, right. But, like, there it is, and it's that fist in the ear. <laughs> and it's
2: funny, to you know, not everyone knows who Jim Carroll is, and if they do, maybe they know him from Basketball Diaries or something, and they don't necessarily know that song. But um, a lot of people don't pick up on the fact that that's a Jim Carroll lyric right after their name, so, then they think I wrote it, but the people who do, and they understand it, I think they kind of laugh to themselves. They're like, yeah. "Oh, you know." And he's he's also from the same time period of, uh, you know, the Ramones and CBGBs and everything. Yeah. It's, um, a,
0: it's a good inside thing.
2: It's like a, it's kind of a nerdy song in right. that way. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, we're nerds. Yeah, we're nerds. <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, the other part about this record I've heard is it's more of a collaborative record. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And when you're doing a solo record, because it's yeah. the Kevin Morby record and everything, I mean, I don't know. You have to give up certain places to that. Like, I don't know, where's the line where it's not exactly a solo record anymore that this is just a band record under your name?
2: I mean, there's definitely a line for that. I think this one's probably right under that line. And, and most of my records have been, h- like, hiring different musicians to come in and, you know, play different things and bring in different organ players and drummers and get a horn section and blah, blah, blah. But for this, it was very much like, okay, I want to make a representation of my live show because my records have always been kind of bigger than my live show. Um, and then I just go out with, you know, two or three people in my live band and we kind of have a rock and roll show and I was like well I want to document that so this record is is the representation of that
0: yeah as you look back now I mean and especially as you're as you say you've got this mind that constantly wants to keep creating did the bands hold you back did your old bands was that that something that held you back from being able to just go full on
2: yeah for sure you know I was in the babies for a long time and that was my creative outlet when I was in that band and there's just a lot of uh, pros and cons to being in a, a set band and you know a big con for me was just the fact that it had to be the same people all the time, and you know everything was democratic in this way, and you had to, to kind of slowly always come to decisions together, which is cool. And when it works, it works. But for me, I just wanted to, to sort of begin my solo career so I could try try on many different suits and 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 you know just have complete freedom.
0: Yeah, and I love the way you play with everything. Like I, I, I'm hearing you sort of play with gender roles. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a story on Facebook. I'm not really sure where that came with, where you, you kind of take the role of the wife as um. the as the narrator, or uh, that's what it seems to me anyway. And there, and of course, there's a song in you know, one of the one of the first singles. You do it as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I like to play with gender like that. Um, and also, f- so I wrote this from sort of the standpoint of a of a woman who's living uh, who's reclusive, living in New York, mm-hmm. as almost sort of like well, how I came came about is that I was writing Singing Saw, which is my, my previous record, and it's all very autobiographical. So I was kind of like, I want to make the exact opposite of this record with the same theme. So I'm going to write it from an old woman's perspective living in New York because I'm a young man living in Los Angeles. And things like that, it's almost, it's like assignments that I give myself. And when you have a general theme or you have a, vin- a, like a general goal and you, you know what you're working towards, um, then you just have to fill in the gaps. Sure. And that's when it becomes fun. It's kind of like I've heard writers say you write the beginning, middle, and end, but the hard part is tying all those things together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of being like, oh, I'm going to write from an, an older woman who's a recluse living in this, this anonymous uh, uptown Manhattan, that gives me like my be- beginning, middle, and end, and then you just have to fill fill in the blanks.
0: It, it's almost seemed like... Um I don't like a Brian Eno or Charlie Kaufman thing, you know, where they they do the the word play, like scattering all the stuff on the table and and sort of piecing it together. And
2: it's fun, too. I mean, words are really fun. It's
0: really it's like it's like Scrabble, you know, Yeah, it makes for good music. I love your music, man. Thank you. appreciate it. And we'll do this again next year when you release a double album. I
2: am. That is my plan. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) I started working on it already. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks a lot Download the free Anchor app right now, or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Now, once again, flip the coin for a couple of uh, interviews I've had with Hamilton through the years as well. This goes back to, I I think, 2017, uh, when he had just put out a a single with Angel Olsen, uh, The uh, Heartstruck, Wild Hunger, as it was a. parenthetically titled. We got to talk about that track's origins, his duet partner with uh, Ms. Olson, uh, the video and uh, and much more. This is a uh, part three. It's Kyle Meredith with Hamilton Lighthouser.
3: What's up, Kyle? It's Hamilton Lighthouser.
0: Seriously cool track with, with, with Heartstruck. I guess the basic questions, where did this song come from?
3: Well, I started it a long time ago. I started it several years ago, and I got to a point where I just didn't, I, I didn't how I was going to finish it, and I put it aside. And uh, I think I started writing it before Rossum and if I even started writing. I had a dream that you're mine, and I put it aside. And then a couple of years later, I, 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 it turned up on my computer somewhere, and I, I heard it, and I thought I, I still did like a lot of the parts of it. And then I realized that I, I thought maybe one way of getting it forward would be to make it a duet, and I wanted to change the way I was singing it, so I, I sang it much with much, much more sort of gusto. Yeah. And I realized I really wanted someone who could really sing hard. The first person I thought of was Angel Olsen, and uh, and luckily, I uh, she was interested. So
0: she gets this year's Nora Jones Award recipient. She's she's a recipient of the Nora Jones Award, I guess, because I feel like she's like everybody's favorite uh, guest all of a sudden because she's great. Uh
3: huh. <laughs> I wonder if she feels spread thin because of that, but I don't know. But I appreciated it. <laughs>
0: You guys sound great together. I mean, it really does the the whole thing. And yeah, those... I
1: liked
3: that. I was really, I was very happy with it.
0: Yeah, those strings
3: are. Yeah, are, who's playing? Is
0: that is that actual strings?
3: It is. It's the, my friend Rob Moose, who actually he plays with a lot of people, and he tours around like Boney Bear and all these people. But uh, I, I did a lot of manipulation actually doing the production on the song. It's actually a really simple sounding song, but there's actually a lot of like production tricks. In, especially in those strings and those drums that were kind of complicated things. I did a lot of tape transfers and slowing down and speeding up strings um, to get kind of a weirder sound because I, I didn't want it to be too flat. It was sort of like a retro soul song. That I, I liked the song, but I didn't really see any point in putting it out as it was. And then when I sort of started messing with the sounds and I got robbed to redo all the like fake strings that I had started with, um, I got a much more lively sort of, Bombastic kind of rock and roll sound out of it, and that's where I think I finally got to. And then I, when I had several tracks of Angel, I could layer them in, and I thought it added like more
0: of a uh, unexpected feel to it. And it's got a lot of layers in it, and you talk about a little bit of that retro, I think, still left over in just the way the piano part plays, just that
3: style. Definitely, of, I yeah. mean, you can't escape that. That sounds like the flamingos. I mean, but that's just the basis for, it. and you know, the chord progression, I guess, the, the beginning that goes up to that three chord is very sort of old timey standard. But I, I think that the, it was like the energy and like the bombast is where I brought. That's that's why I felt like it was worth putting out.
0: I'm, I'm really glad you did, and and the video is so cool uh, on it too.
3: I, I like I, I wrote the whole concept of the video. I actually wrote it to be a lot sort of funnier than it was, but we ended up getting Nick and Peter Simonite, who really are talented guys, and they um, they changed the, a lot of the vibe of the way that I'd written out um, the storyline of it, but they made it look great in a way that i never could i mean i have nothing to do with the way that it looks that's all <laughs> that it's beautiful um, and i think they did a great job yeah
0: that's so cool so this right now is really just kind of a holdover song just a one-off song for the fun of it
3: yeah i mean i have some, some new material um that i've been working on for a long time and and this is just the first thing that i've finished and i'm going on, i was going on this big tour that i'm on right now and i thought it would be fun to have something new i, I kind of want I wish people could hear more of myself. I'm just not. I just haven't quite been able to carry the ball over the goal line for a bunch of these songs. But I really do have so many that are like almost there. And I, 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 I think maybe it would be fun it, to to put out a series of singles instead of a a record. I, I, don't know if that's a good idea or not. But right now, putting out this song sounded fun. And actually, I have another one that sounds completely different than this that I I, I could see myself releasing um, maybe maybe pretty soon. You know, it's just sort of like the way people used to release records originally. It's like mm-hmm. just single by single, as opposed to album by album.
0: I mean, I'm an album fan, but uh, you know, when when I'm a fan of an artist,
3: the I next thing too. I want and, is and, just I just and want
0: and want and want. So,
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, you're never gonna you're never gonna reach like a landmark, and you know, you like all the albums I release. I release an album every like two years. I've been doing that for like I don't know 15 years now, mm-hmm. and they do. They're sort of like markers along in your time and releasing a single does not have that substantial feel at all. But it's kind of like a, it's something different. I haven't done it before. And It's 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 sort of fun just finishing this one song, getting it, you know, getting the record company to get it all together and put it out very quickly. And, you know, I only finished it, like a month and a half ago. So it's nice that people can hear it right now and I'm not doing this huge wait. And so this other one, I really would like to be able to hear this other song too. So I don't know. Wolfie.
0: Well, that's the other side of it that I was going to say is I'm also such a fan of B-sides. And while this isn't what you would typically call a B-side, you know, once there's enough out there, you compile it to its own record and it suddenly sort of becomes... Yeah, and I
3: mean, it's not off limits anymore. You can always come back and revisit it.
0: You, know? you talk about having so many songs too. Is that... Uh, you know, maybe you've always had them, but now that you you know you're a solo artist now for you know two full albums, handful of years, is that sort of part of that of not having to wait for everybody else to come in and put their parts and and say in on it?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you, you uh, well, I mean, I, I've always been I've always just written songs sort of obsessively in my free time, and it's something that I enjoy doing and something that I I sort of can't stop doing, and I I don't that's not necessarily just a good thing because it it really becomes kind of like an obsession. And uh, I mean, it keeps me going, but it also sort of drives me crazy. And so uh, whether or not I'm consciously working on music, i always have something in the back of my mind. And uh, I've just always been, I've, I've just done that for, you know, 20 something years now. And so, yeah, not having a band to worry about, like, we're going to finally be able to schedule everyone to get together to try these ideas out. That's pretty great because I can just move forward whenever I want to. And I can work with whoever I want, and I can right. call Angela and see if she wants to sing on my song. And I can, you know, I can just, or I could, you know, call anyone. It's nice. I mean, I've just, I was in a group for so many years. It is, it is nice to have a little more freedom yeah. of scheduling.
0: Well, I hope it uh, it keeps on going. I, I look forward to a few more singles, uh, especially, you know, if... Uh, yep. If they're as good as this one. (laughs) Well, no
3: promises. (laughs) No
0: promises. All right, buddy. I'll I'll let you get back. I know you you just got into the hotel and everything, but I appreciate the call and and the talk. All
3: right. Thanks very much, Kyle. Nice to talk to you.
0: You too. See you around. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Now, backing up, just a year before that interview right there, uh, Hamilton had just put out the record, I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, which he uh, co-produced, co-wrote, co-recorded, co-did everything with uh, Rostam, who used to, of course, be in uh, in Vampire Weekend. So this is uh, part four, Kyle Meredith with Hamilton Lighthouser. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? You know, we'll start easy. You got the new record coming out, I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, which is not something I can say without singing it in my head.
3: Yeah, I thought it was funny. You, you know, you you get what you pay for, right? You you buy "I Had a Dream of You Were Mine." And you put the thing on, and the absolute first thing you hear is "I Had a Dream That You Were Mine." <laughs> I, I no beating I was, around the bush.
0: No, I thought I was in danger of uh, of get you know opening this call, and I'd be singing your song as you as you popped on, which is mm-hmm. it's like wearing the band t shirt to the show. For yeah, let let's hear the story. Where where does this whole collaboration uh, start?
3: Well, I, um, I originally met Rostam in about 2008 uh, when Vampire Weekend opened for the Walkman. That was the first time I met Rostam. Um, he had played Saturday Night Live the night before, and uh, they still honored their commitment and came and opened for us for about five nights in the South. But we didn't get to be friends until about five years later. He heard through a mutual friend that I was um, working on a solo record. And he wrote me out of the blue and invited me over to write songs. And he lived down the street, so we uh, we got together and hit it off really quick and wrote two songs that ended up on my uh, solo record, Black Hours. And after Black Hours came out, we we decided to try working together again, but we didn't know we didn't know. To what extent it would be i I guess it was sort of assumed that we would be working on a few tracks for my solo record my next solo record but but we just got stuff done so quickly that that we um after our second songwriting session together we decided that this should be its own project and that's when we that's when we decided that it should be a full record that
0: we do together i I was thinking about like how often I hear about, you know, musicians, they'll meet it up, they'll be like, hey, we should work together soon, we should work together, and it never happens.
3: Right, and th- I, yeah, that's so true. And then the other thing is that if you try it, which I, I've, I only have maybe once or twice, um, it is, I mean, I, I can't believe this worked out. Like, it never works out. Finding someone that you want to collaborate with, that wants to collaborate with you, and then on top of that, having it actually work out seems to me like I, I can't imagine it ever happening, I guess. <laughs> and I'm amazed that it did the first time. I mean, it's, it, well, I, well, I always felt so lucky in the Walkman that well, I had my old friends who wanted to do this because I, I had friends in New York who had to put ads in the, in the newspaper and, and meet people and try to start bands, and it just seemed so hopeless. It just seemed, you know, people were coming from all different. They, people really didn't get along.
0: And, and you luck mm-hmm. out. You know, a couple times. I mean, you, there was another collab though. I mean, this quick on the hills of the Paul Maroon collaboration too, right?
3: Actually, it was simultaneous. At one point, Paul and I were working on Dear God, and Rostam and I were working on this. And and this is before either of us had really discussed what we were doing. And I, I didn't. I, I, was, I was. It was funny because the the Paul stuff was so different from the Rostam stuff. So I didn't know if I should. If this was all another Solar Record I was going to do and put all these songs on it. And that's when, at some point, I just realized these need to be separate. And 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 I'm glad I did that because the, the both records come out, came out a lot stronger because of that. Yeah,
0: that, I mean, that's mm. got to be really fun for uh, any, any kind of artist to, uh, I mean, that's, that's a big sandbox that you get to play in, having both of those going on at one time. Oh, it's right? great.
3: It's unbelievable. I mean, it kept me so busy. I, at one point, I had so many songs going on that I sort of started losing track of what I was working on. But but it was such a good problem to have. I mean, I have these two guys who can play just anything and are so good, and both willing to work with me. I felt, I mean, it it, it was really it's incredible.
0: To this uh, to this album, working with Rostam, I I don't know. Do I is it is he still in the producer role, or does it really become more of a this is how we work together in a band?
3: Well, it's funny because I mean, I in my. Whole experience of working with producers, I've I've worked with about four over all the years. Mostly, we really we really I've always worked without a producer, but in the times that we have, it's been so different each time. Just the the word producer is such a such a, a vague. I mean, it, it can in terms of a job description, there's really no. It can it can sort of mean anything. Some of them are are like songwriters who want to be involved and and. You know, you're doing it all together and involved in the way that it's going to go. Some are just sort of engineers and and mixers, and some are kind of just like editors and don't even really have much technical knowledge at all. And so it, it, it's really such a wide scope of stuff. With with Rossum, it was like it was like we were a band together. That's why we named it what we did. I mean, it, we talked about naming it Hamilton Lighthouse and then having it produced by Rossum, but that really wasn't being totally truthful. It's kind of like. I mean, from what my experience was, this is uh, we're a band. We did it together.
0: This does, I mean, so it's not your solo record, but it does kind of fall in the catalog of your second release post-Walkman, or it's second and
3: a half. Well, it's got my name. That's why we called it what we did, so for a little bit of clarity on who this is and mm-hmm.
0: what's happening. Because how is it for you then? I mean, I guess i say how important was it, if at all, you know post Walkman to say I have to do something different I have to get away from the old sounds or old habits or is that even an issue
3: oh definitely very important I mean it's something I, I sort of I, I feel like I've gotten away from it now so I, did, I, I that's less on my mind and I feel like I've gotten I've been able to come up with a lot of stuff that really doesn't sound at all like the Walkman but mm-hmm. uh, I would, that was more of something I was really thinking on Black Hours I thought I, I just we got to get rid of those sounds and the music's got to be different and I, I, once I got there, I felt I didn't have to worry about that as much. Yeah,
0: success. You pulled it off.
3: Uh ah, thanks. There's
0: a, I mean, there's something I hear in your voice, I don't know, and more so now than ever before, you know, and, and maybe it's that I've seen you in press photos in a suit, and this is what conjures the images, but you have as much Frank Sinatra-style crooning going on a, as you do anything huh. rock and
3: roll. You know, My mom read some press that came out with Black Hours that was mentioning Frank Sinatra, and she called me and said, "Uh, it's such a compliment, that's that's so nice, but one thing you got to keep in mind is don't get too close to Frank, because nobody wins when it comes to Frank. <laughs> so I try to avoid that as much as possible. Uh,
0: it's in there though, you know, whether you want it or not. It's just the style. I mean, the way you draw out, like you know, in a thousand times, it's you know the way that chorus kind of comes out, and and that's what I hear. Oh, well, good.
3: I love his thing. I do. Yeah, I do. You know, the new but I don't video. Wanna, you don't want to get too close.
0: Yeah, the new video doesn't uh, you know take away from that too much when you've got your dad also kind of pulling it off, kind of harkening to an old. Generation
3: yeah, we're really time. proud of that video. I, I watched it again yesterday when it came out, and I um, it was funny. It's it's sort of like seeing it for the first time. I don't know why. I guess maybe because I know it's out in the world, and I I really loved it so much.
0: Is your dad doing an impression of you?
3: No, that's him. I mean, maybe I'm doing an impression of him when I sing. I mean, he he's a singer in a band and has always been. It was the first band I ever saw, and he can really he can really sing. I mean, in that he's 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 singing along to the track, but he's really singing there.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, though, I mean, when you pull back to the thematics of the video and, you know, take away, I guess, the personal thing that you saw, in, you know, behind the curtain. I mean, it, it, it's a cool video, the young part, the middle part, the old part and everything. And, and I didn't know if that was something you would look at and be like, yeah, that's, that's you know, we're, this, we're of the same cloth. Well, we are. It's just kind of a, you know, what I'm getting at, it's sort of a special moment for the viewer, maybe as much as it is for what, you know, sentimentality you might have had during the whole time
3: yeah I mean, I think it translates like the idea it, it, when you realize that, and that 's also rossem 's dad in there too mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. playing the uh, the keyboard once once it cuts to my dad great mustache. Um, it, it does create like a, a like a narrative as, as the video i mean it's, I, I really think it works well and and Sam the, the kid is my friend 's son and yeah. and uh, he really
0: was awesome too i, I did uh, I read the pitchfork interview that you guys did, and it was talking about you playing chess on your iPhone as you uh as you did the
3: lyrics
0: (laughs) are you a good chess player
3: i'm not bad i taught myself to play when i worked at the metropolitan museum of art which doesn't say for much for how much i was actually working but i did i had like a chess program on my computer and i would sit i didn't i literally did not even know the rules when i sat down there and six years later i came out not bad and now now it's 15 years later and i'm I can I can hold my own.
0: Yeah, you know what, I I'd played on the phone and computer for a long time and I guess I'd had it on the easy setting and one day I decided to teach my son. He's eight and a half now, and this was probably he was probably seven just last year or something, and uh, I was teaching him and within like two games he's already beaten me. So I'm gonna say really? I'm not that good at chess.
3: <laughs> well, it's addictive. It is. It's very addictive. It is. My uncle has all these insomnia problems and he's a big chess player and, and he did a sleep study And one thing they told him is that he needs to stop playing chess.
0: (laughs) And you think it's such a relaxing thing to do?
3: I know, right? I guess it's not. I think it's like encourages all this aggression and like neuroses.
0: (laughs) And that's what comes out in your new album, aggression and neuroses. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time today. I'll let you get on, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you around Louisville again. You know, sooner than later. We'd love to.
3: Okay. Yeah. Definitely so. And, uh, and take care. All right. Thanks very much, man. All nice right, to talk right. to you. Right. Bye-bye.
0: And again, my thanks to both Hamilton Leinhauser and Kevin Morby for those interviews right there. Do make sure if you haven't already to hit the subscribe button before you get out so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week. It's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or again, anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith With. After that, head over to WFPK.org. It's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. An hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the uh, social media spots. Uh, That's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all three of them at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.